a Pulp MX Network production. The only athlete-to-athlete podcast in the sport. Questions from a different perspective. The hard questions you want answered about training, riding, and being a professional athlete. Not only in motocross, but in other sports realms as well. Welcome to Shifting Gears, the Zach Osborne Podcast. Yeah, what's up guys? Zach Osborne here with the Husqvarna Shifting Gears Podcast. This week I got Cooper Webb on. Coop's one of my training partners at the Baker's Factory and uh, someone I've become pretty close with over the past couple of months, uh, about a year now actually, that we've been training together. Um, Coop takes some pretty tough listener questions and uh, gives us a really honest interview. Um, I I think you guys will enjoy this. Uh, This is the last episode for a couple of weeks. I'm going over to Europe soon and I have a few real really good uh, guests lined up so stay tuned for those and um, thank you again for listening to the Husqvarna USA Shifting Gears podcast presented by Skosh and Fly Racing I hope you guys enjoy I'm Zach Osborne, host of the Husqvarna Shifting Gears podcast, as well as rider for Rockstar Energy Husqvarna Factory Racing. I love my race bike, but it's not the only model I love from Husqvarna Motorcycles. They offer a whole range of off-road and street motorcycles. When you don't want to have to load up just to go for a ride, a dual-sport motorcycle is the perfect way to get your fix. Explore the trail beyond with the FE250, which delivers a more intuitive riding experience. And right now, Husqvarna Motorcycles is offering as low as 0% financing on select dual sport models head to your local authorized house farm motorcycles dealer and learn more yeah we're here with uh cooper webb for episode 14 of the husqvarna usa shifting gears podcast hosted by myself zach osborne um it's a beautiful monday afternoon in claremont florida a little bit of rain but we're uh we're sitting inside chilling and um coop thanks for coming on dude I'm, i'm super stoked to have you yeah, thanks, Zacho. Good to be on and uh, a little bit of downtime, so glad we could make it happen. Yeah, dude, um, how about a little bit of an injury update? Like, how's it going? How's uh, how's the knee feeling? Yeah, knee's coming around. Obviously, Unadilla, I ended up twisting it and uh, got super lucky that nothing majorly majorly wrong, but uh, just a hyperextension and a bunch of fluid and bone bruising and stuff like that, so luckily nothing major, but uh, just decided to let it rest and heal and get ready for the upcoming season next year. Yeah, dude, that's uh, a big bummer. I mean, I know 2019's been a, a huge year for you, and you're probably ready for a break, but not, not in that sense. You know, it would have been nice to just kind of finish the season out strong and you know make make all the races yeah absolutely i mean like you said it it was <clears throat> kind of a tough way to end it you know it's a long season for sure but you you get this close and really that was actually one of my goals this year was to try to race every race because i've never been able to do that so uh but a bummer but you know i made all the super crosses and um like you said i think i could have maybe made it happen for this last round at Ironman but you know at this point in the year we want to be out there 100% and fighting for for podiums and stuff like that so just to kind of go for a top 10 or top 8 at this point didn't seem like the best thing just to get ready for next year and get it healed and you know go to go to work and try to do uh well again next year yeah you said you made it through all the supercrosses i think you did a little more than than make it through dude like it's it's pretty crazy to see the turnaround that you had from from last year to this year and just man like what what a season what a year yeah when you i mean like you said when you look back at 
in the whole grand scheme of things, it, it really is crazy. I mean, uh, such a turnaround from, you know, just the injuries I had the last two seasons. Like like I was just saying, I've only, I think the most supercrosses I've ever made is 12. So, like I said, a, a big goal for me was just to, to make all 17, which obviously I was able to do. But, yeah, I mean, to go from that to a championship in, in really a short amount of time was – I can't even put it into words or really know how I even did it. So, uh, but man, it, it was such a great Supercross season, and even outdoors was was great too. And uh, but man, just yeah, don't don't really know what the you know how it happened, but definitely stoked it. It ended up that way, and was able to have such a great year. Yeah, dude, I feel like one of your best rides in Supercross was one of the most overlooked because. A, because you hadn't won yet, and B, because it was only a fifth place, but your ride at A1 was pretty spectacular. I mean, there, you know, the Dallas, the race with Kenny, and then some of the other wins um, were, were awesome, but, like, that was a defining moment a little bit for me. Like, I, you know, I saw you all of October, November, December, and um, I really didn't expect you to to come out and be passing people at the end of motos like that and you went from yeah down in the first turn to fifth that was a pretty crazy ride yeah it was it was um like you said i think it really kind of got the ball rolling for me it was luckily the first round and you never know with mud what can happen and you know it was a1 like there's always a lot of speculation and hype around that race so uh like you said to I kind of whatever you want to call it was going into the turn first and ended up going pretty much the dead last which uh at the time was was a bummer but yeah as as I got going I I've really felt good that race and um was picking guys off and just put my head down and you know after the race you know I got fifth which I was actually really happy with and um you know they had told me like dude you I guess I ran the fastest time and you know especially late in the race was was really coming on strong and uh I kind of felt like right there you know even though it was a mud race you know it, it kind of gave me that confidence of like okay you know boot camp and the training and all the writing i've done i feel really good but here's a result now to kind of right. stamp it and show like for me i wanted to be a top five guy especially at the beginning of the year so that was like a a proof and just that little goal i checked off right there so uh yeah it was definitely a momentum carrier even though uh, it was a fifth place. Yeah. Obviously, we all know the result and, you know, down the stretch to be a, a Supergrass champion at 23, right? Yeah. 23 years old. That's a pretty pretty big feat. But um, how would you get here? Like, what's uh, what's the Cooper Webb story? I know you grew up in a small coastal town in North Carolina. You, you always tell me, like, the closest track was an hour, two hours away to the nearest big track <laughs> where you could really do some work. Like, how did you uh, get going? Uh, yeah, it all started. I grew up in Morehead City in North Carolina, and uh, my dad shaped surfboards, and uh, so that's what we're on the coast, and he has a surf shop there, so that's pretty much what started it. He used to ride back in the day, and um, when when I was four years old, he, he got a bike and kind of got me back into it, uh, introduced me to, to racing, and it kind of started from there and uh my mom was a school teacher so we we kind of had the same schedules i went to school up uh through 11th grade so for me i felt like i lived a pretty normal childhood going to school um i I really got lucky with you know principals and the school system letting me miss as many days as i did going to amateur races with my dad and and mom even and uh but yeah i felt like you know racing 
at that time, at the younger part of my life was a hobby, really. You know, it was enjoyable and I loved it, but I played a lot of different sports. I mean, I was really into soccer, like all stick and ball sports. And then really, I actually, because of my dad, surfed a lot. And, and that was what I actually wanted to be good at was surfing. Was surfing. So That's pretty cool. There was times, you know, getting ready for Loretta's and stuff where I'd spend all summer surfing and, you know, ride maybe once a week or something. So uh, I was I was stoked, like, later when I got around 14 or 15, that's when it kind of clicked, like, hey, you know, you could turn professional and, and be good at this. And, you know, a lot of uh, tension started happening that way. And, you know, I'd always done well, but I had gotten some sponsors like Honda and Red Bull and they really got on board to kind of take me to the next step, you know, and so uh, that's where it really kind of shifted and changed. But, yeah, I, I feel like my childhood was, was pretty cool. Like I have, even now, I'd say majority of my friends are from school or um, live back home, and, you know, when they see me kind of race now, like back then nobody really knew what racing was, and right. now everybody kind of follows motocross in my area because of that, and, you know, there isn't, Still to this day, the closest track is about an hour away, and the closest AMA race to us was about two and a half hours. So we were traveling. So, that's <laughs> funny. That like it's just like an outlaw, random outlaw track. Yeah, it was pretty much uh, like I wouldn't say a fair track, but yeah. kind of that standard that local night track. Yeah, that you go ride and whatever. It had lights you could ride at night, but um, it was a little sandier. So in the winter it would get a little more popular our weather is pretty good so really in the winter it was like kind of a little hidden gym for people to come up north right. they would be going down and find it and uh but yeah it's pretty cool that uh that it was a little local track and then um now actually jimmy weiner owns it and, okay. and took it over but uh yeah there there was not much racing going on in our little area but at the time like north carolina was a super happening spot for moto so we would I mean, like you would go hit all the District 29 and all right. those races on the weekends, and we had some really stiff competition. So, was uh, man, I, I really enjoyed you know racing as a kid and, and growing up yeah. that way. How good were you at surfing? Like, was there a chance you could be like the guy in surfing? <laughs> no, I mean, I would do local contests here and there, um, but my dad, I think, kind of shifted me away from it. Yes. Yeah that's what he did his whole life and i think he just wanted me to kind of do something else but now i mean i would win little like at our local beach maybe a contest here and there but but nothing crazy but there is there's actually now a a kid from our town that uh, has made it pro and and is doing really well so it was a, a pretty surfing happening spot like in the summer it was surfing or out on the boat for or fishing for people right and in the winter, you know, it's a tourist town, so there's nothing to do. And so really, uh, it was kind of cool to, I shouldn't say make it out of there, but there wasn't a lot happening, you right. know. So to, to be able to kind of get away and get a, you know, profession going is, is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I grew up in a small town, but, you know, I, I had a decent track of my own, and, and uh, it was only 30 minutes from Muddy Creek my whole life, and there were some really good local racing going on but i can't imagine being you know one hour from the closest track and then uh, you know two hours from the nearest track where people would actually go to but you told me a couple months ago that you would drive you know four five six hours basically every weekend to get to a decent track 
yeah, I mean, that was – and I think that's why now, may or maybe, you know, everything happens for a reason, like like always. But, like, for me, when I was younger, um, I didn't ride much. That was just the bottom line. You yeah. know, my, my mom would take me to the track on Wednesday, and I would ride until it got dark, and then they'd shut the lights on, and we could ride a little bit more. But, you know, it just wasn't feasible to do a lot. So, um at that time like the contingency was always super good and i had support from honda and yeah we would go shoot wherever we could i remember the one year i had in my contract you know that the x amount of races you can make contingency and my dad had it circled we ended up racing <laughs> 50 weeks out of the year dang you know the one weekend we did a saturday race saturday night race and then a sunday race so you know looking back at that i think that's what because I didn't practice much, but I was able to race all the time was what really helped me. And uh, like you said, racing competitive level kids, you know, whether it be Virginia or I mean, we go come down here to Florida, Georgia. I mean, really the whole East Coast didn't matter. We would get it in a weekend and, and be back to school on Monday. So uh, obviously my dad dedicated a lot as well as my mom and uh, made a lot of things happen. So, but yeah, I mean, it was always a cool deal being able to go race different kids from all different areas of the east coast or even really the country yeah i mean it's uh it's just kind of the amateur racing rhetoric if you will where you just travel and and go and race and do as much as you can um do do you looking back on your amateur career it was pretty dang successful like you had a, a really good career you were one of the first kids on like the honda 150 kind of program but do you feel like that held you back or you were pretty stoked on that um looking back i wouldn't say it held me back any but looking back at the time when it first came out it was and it still is a a cool bike you know like they're they were the only ones to do it or whatever and looking back when you first got on it like i was really stoked on it um but i had actually never like compared to 85s and stuff i think it's competitive yeah but I had never ridden a proper super mini or anything like that. So I rode the 150 for a long time and, you know, had great results on it. But I always felt like against the super minis, I would always, I I wouldn't be able to do as well. And I always, I didn't know. But when I, when I had a chance later on, I actually did a, it was the first year Monster Cup came out and I did the one-off race on the KTM uh, super mini there. That was the first time I had ridden like a 112. And I kind of saw the difference, like, holy cow, you yeah. know, this thing is is a bit better. But uh, but at the same time, you know, I think it did teach me maybe how to ride the four-stroke, you know, a little right. bit yeah. better. Did you ever ride a 125? No, I never, never did. You know, back then with Honda, it was, they didn't have their two-stroke. So that was kind of the thing was, okay, we'll go from the 150 to the 250F, yeah. and maybe it's a better transition, um, which I think it, it was. But like you said, I also missed out on, racing a 125 which i always look back and wish i would have done at least a little bit but uh yeah but like you said maybe the the four stroke to four stroke you know transition made it a little bit easier to to do yeah i mean hard to say looking back but i i felt like uh when i got on the 250f i was small but was able to kind of figure out a bit easier and and kind of know but you know it all it all happens all works out yeah you had a, you know, like I said, a, a really successful amateur career, and you mentioned the one race that you did with KTM on the, on the at the Monster Cup on the one twelve, and then you were quickly kind of scooped up by Star, right? Mm-hmm. 
For yeah, it was it was kind of a wild little event right there, and kind of getting back to the amateur thing. Like, I had a lot of championships and a lot of great success as an amateur, but I'd say majority of my amateur career, you know, I got a little overshadowed by by AC. You know, he was yeah. very dominant, and we always not always raced each other, but um, at the big events like Loretta's and stuff would always, you know, meet. And usually he got the better of me each time. So that was like the first, um, I raced super many and uh, at Loretta's that year. And at the time, the guys I was racing, they all had gotten deals for the next year. You know, AC was going to PC. Um, I think it was Pichelio was going to Geico. Uh, can't remember who it was but they already had their tld deal done and uh so it was like i was trying to figure out what i could do to kind of secure a spot or at least get on the radar type deal and at the time bobby reagan from star was really the only person interested and would call me you know non-stop hey we want you we want you but at that time his his team really wasn't right the one you wanted to kind of it wasn't the star that yeah it is now. <laughs> you know it was uh like a top 10 tier team or whatever and uh so really it was kind of red bull they they it was the first year that the monster energy cup was going on and uh at that time it was like if you got a top 10 at loretta's that was your seat in to race right you know it isn't like now where if you're a top amateur or whatever so it was a thing where hey i i had gotten i think second or third at loretta's i got my ticket to the monster energy cup you know this is going to be on tv and in front of the industry like let's go race you know and and i was a little big on the 150 so looking back like i was going to transition to the 250 but we wanted to do this one race so um my dad wanted me to on on a 112 so at the time too like bobby reagan we asked him if we could do it on a super mini but they didn't even have super minis or anything to to do it so ktm said hey you know we'll we'll give you a bike and let you do it and they were trying to get me onto their orange brigade amateur program for the following years and uh so we ended up you know kind of just kind of crazy like a one-off deal just all it was one ride one ktm monster energy cup on a ktm and after that race I didn't have a contract for for anybody, yeah. so it was a pretty unique deal. And you know, I was able to race, and I ended up getting second to AC. <laughs> and uh, but it was cool, like looking back, you know, to just kind of have that deal happen was was pretty unique. And then you know, I got on the 250F later on, and um, did many was on a Honda. And then uh, shortly after that, I actually went ahead and did the star deal because i i didn't have anything you know red bull red bull actually back then was really pushing for me to go to ktm but at the time it was the factory team right and they had i think it was kenny and marv and you could you know it's rightfully so they didn't want to kind of take a chance on an amateur and yeah. tld wasn't really interested um mitch wasn't interested he kind of told me hey you need to be on team green which I even tried to get on Team Green, and they weren't interested. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, and, and I thought, too, because I had been Honda my, the whole time, like, I'd go straight to Geico, and uh, that didn't happen either. So it was either sign, like, a, a deal with Star for, I think it was one-year amateur and one-year pro, or be on a one-year deal with Orange Brigade, which is KTM amateur deal. Right. Just just whatever happens. Whatever happens. happens. Yeah. And, at the time, like you said, there there was no KTM team beside the factory, so there really wasn't anything going on. Right. So we just went with what was kind of secure and 
but uh i actually the last year like when i did get some support from star you know i had some great years like in the b class and even that my ending of the a was was actually really pretty like i won a lot that year so it's funny you know when you look back and you see how how it all trans transpired and what it turned into but like i said at the time you know i think star had maybe won a race or so yeah. and it's funny because jeremy uh martin was on a couple weeks ago and he kind of had almost the same story where um you know not star was his last resort well it actually he kind of said it was his last resort it was the only thing he had but same for you it was the only thing that that you had but people i feel like they often overlook or miss that journey from transitioning from amateur to pro or you know just how much it takes to go right at the right time yeah. to get to be a supercross champion or to get to even have a ride as a professional it's it's crazy how many people how many pieces of a puzzle you know this grand scheme of things has to fall into place for it to even be remotely possible yeah no i just i mean it's it is crazy when you look back and look at all the what can happen what could have happened what should have happened and and how it end up does happen you know and and i think even looking now like i look at how the to me the amateur thing now is is insane you know and compared to how it used to be with getting rides from you know 12 all the way through your whole yeah. deal and two years pro and so you know that's what i like you said you kind of tell your story or my story or different people's story and you look at i don't want to say like all the guys that were top amateurs usually don't make it happen in the pros yeah. but you look at all the in my opinion you look at all the past champions that have kind of you know with dunge or Villapoto that kind of got overshadowed or, right. or whatever it was maybe wasn't the best amateur kind of made it into the pros and even when they got pro right away didn't make it happen necessarily but how that changes you know do you think that's like a like an internal like fire that was set a long time ago that like boils for 10 years as an amateur and then you're <laughs> like no this is my time like i think so i mean i think it's just at least for me it's like a a chip on your shoulder a little bit right and like you know what these people overshadowed me and didn't even give me a chance like at least for me that's what it was all about and and i knew it wasn't gonna be easy by any means but i think uh you know we've talked about before i think the the harder your journey is you know the more it it fuels you and motivates you to to be successful right and uh so yeah, I think for me it was like that, and then even like I said, I only had the one year deal with Star. So even though I had a, a pro deal, it was like, hey, you got a year to make it happen, and if you don't, you know, yeah, it was well, only one outdoor season too. Yeah, right? yeah, that's a lot of pressure for <laughs> a, you know a young guy. No, for sure, but you know, and and I think even with like you said, at the same time they had signed Jeremy, and that was kind of like. They were a low-budget team also. Yeah. So it was like, hey, you know, they didn't know the next direction they wanted to go either. So it was one of those things where I think they put both of us in a tight spot where, hey, you kind of got to prove that you're you're worth being on the, the team even even though we're not expecting you to win championships or win races. But, uh, you know, it was good, obviously, that, that rookie year. Like you said, it was pressure, but it it's almost like, in my eyes, it was more of a motivator to – prove bobby wrong like you know yeah you, you should sign me <laughs> and also like like you said there were guys who you raced your whole life that were on good deals not just like one year deal for yeah you know uh, sort of a 
a small salary. They yeah. were on good deals. No, exactly. And at the time, I I don't know. You know, I didn't know what the going rate or anything. You knew like you were that. getting paid. I was and that's getting all paid. That exactly. I was like, man, this is sweet. Like, but looking back and knowing, you know, it's like, dang, you know, I really did have to kind of make it happen, and I definitely wasn't gonna get any financial benefits from that contract <laughs> but uh like i said it all works out and you know i think uh even moving on from that like how star i feel like you know i don't want to say whether it was the timing with the new bike and the yamaha and the, their commitment but how it turned from i mean same thing like kind of a last resort only resort to now and at that time a championship started winning championships right yeah, I I can I know what you mean. Like you guys kind of um, reshape the the future of the team. It's that has to feel pretty good. Like they're still you know on the climb. I would say after since you and Jeremy kind of started that in 2014 yeah. or 13. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it was like I said that they even when I was on the team, the commitment and the bikes were amazing. You know. Um, and they were competitive and everything like that, but you know it was like I always call it. Me and Bobby mess around now. It's like it was redneck racing, you know. <laughs> it was like getting every little thing we could do to get you know an extra horse out, or you know him yelling at you to go do something to get you know go from eighth place to seventh or whatever it was. And uh, for whatever reason, that next year just really clicked for for me and Jeremy and and the team. Like Supercross, my rookie year, I was on the podium you know a handful of times and we went to outdoors and i don't know what happened we, it just it really went well you know for, yeah. for obviously jeremy won the title but i won i think two races and was on the podium and got third in points and you know it kind of escalated from there to winning 15 you know 16 yeah. and obviously once we got that attention kind of going i think the sponsors helped more to get more financial backing and things could get better but it's cool to see like i signed with them in 13 and all the same guys that were there in 13 are, are still on the team and still just as motivated and working just as hard so it's cool to see and, and especially bobby like reagan is a close friend of mine so to see the continued success and how he does things and runs things and i've always really got along with him so it's cool to still see him having success with you know brand new guys and yeah. kind of in my opinion like how his team is 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 similar you know all the guys he's had in the past are guys that i feel like he's maybe whatever the reason is they've turned into champions you know they aren't the the cream of the crop amateur like we were just saying yeah i think that's that's a you know uh, a compliment to bobby's sort of commitment and the way he does things you know just how much success he's had with not like replacements if you will but just you know guys like you that were super talented that just didn't quite have what they were looking for or, or a, a real good deal if you will skosh accessories for life listen guys their slogan sums it up they are accessories for your life I use the Magic Mount vent clip every day, boom bottle all the time, go bat when we're traveling. Whatever it may be, the functionality and durability of these products is second to none. That's why myself and Rockstar and J Husqvarna Factory Racing choose Skosh. Accessories for life. Check them out at Skosh, S-C-O-S-C-H-E.com. Yeah, no, for sure. And it is cool. Like, I remember when uh, I was always friends with Plessinger as a kid and stuff, but, you know, as an amateur, man, I... I don't really remember him. He was all these GNCC and yeah. doing other stuff, you know, and 
you know, to kind of see him turn into a champion and win a championship. And I was telling somebody the story the other day. I remember when he showed up on the first uh, – we were training with Swanee, and it was the first ride. And uh, he was like, man, you know, I, I hardly ever cycle. And uh, he showed up in just uh, bibs, no jersey. Just bibs. Just bibs. And he's like, All right. That's a legend. And we thought we were – he was, like, joking. He had no idea. He was like, what do you mean? This ain't what you're supposed to wear. So it's cool to see, like, you know, he's come a long ways. And, you know, I remember when with Colt Nichols, he's gotten a lot better from, you know, arena cross to not having anything. And, you know, now even Ferrandis, you know, a lot of people, I think, didn't expect him to, to do as well as he has right. from GPs, and he's crushing it. So it's cool to see, like you said, all the guys that, um, he's been able to work with and get results out of. Yeah. So you go from being a three-time 250 champion, um, Supercross in 15, and then Supercross and Outdoors in 16, to sort of an overlooked 450 rider. And one thing I think is kind of commonly missed there is that you were only 20 or tw- 20 or 21 yeah, when 20. you were f- sort of forced to move because of the the two titles rule. That, to me, is a huge piece of the puzzle, like how things went in the start of your 450 career. You know, I, I transitioned to the 450s when I was 29. Like, that's a huge difference. Not that that's – obviously, that's not the, you know, chosen path, For if sure. you will. It could have been like 20, 23 or 24. <laughs> but 20 is the opposite end of the spectrum as far as, you know, 29 being super old to transition and 20 being what I feel is pretty young. Mm-hmm. No, and it was. I mean, it was, shoot, it was short. You know, I had turned pro when I was 17, and like I said, I was able to have great success. But like I said, I felt like I was really not in the lights class too long. But at the same time, I think in 2016, I had a very great year. And it maybe not mature maturity-wise, but speed and where I was on the 250, maybe I felt like it probably was I was ready for the jump, right. even though... I think I was, you know, speed and, and stuff like that, but all the other aspects, I wasn't. Yeah. You know? Looking back now, yeah. knowing what it takes. At the time, I thought, you know, oh, no, oh yeah, we're no, sorted. <laughs> this would be no problem. Yeah. But, no, I think, um, I don't know what it was exactly. I mean, um, I struggled a lot uh, in 2016 going into 2017 on the 450. Um I think more with, like, lack – I don't know the exact problem, but I'd say maybe just maturity wasn't there and lack of uh, experience and just really – basically what had happened was 2016 was such a great year, and I had won way more than I ever set out to, really doing well in Supercross, uh, outdoors, going to the GP in Charlotte, doing really well there. And it was almost to the point where I've always had this thing built up in my mind that, like, okay, if I win and win championships, oh, that's the goal. But my goal, like, life's going to get better. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have more money. I'm going to be a champion. Like, life's going to get easier, and it's going to be great. And I'm going to have this 450 ride, and it's going to be no pressure. And it's like I've quickly realized (laughs) how idiotic that was, you know. and. Like you said, you you work for these goals, but I, I think I realized at that time, like I thought, dirt bikes was the key to like happiness and um, making your life worth it, if you will. Yeah. And I quickly learned that 
this is a job and a hobby and it's good to have those goals but there's way more to dirt bikes so i think that's what i struggled with so as soon as i transition like that off season you know october to january 1st probably being the most important time that i should have buckled down and done all my work and gotten ready for the biggest test in motocross that being the 450 class that i i definitely took it for granted and you know i i kind of was at a stage where i was a little i'd say even burnt out because i just i don't know i really don't know why i think it was just like i said i was so used to winning and that i thought like i said that everything would come easy yeah. and um as it had for a couple of years yeah. i mean there, you had all the right to think and so i think you know it got tough and i was at that age where i had just turned 21 and you know was maybe acting up a bit and yeah. and surrounded myself with maybe not the best people and so i think um and i was struggling you know to get adapted to the 450 you know to be honest um we were doing a lot of testing and a lot of with it being the new team and a new bike you know i was i didn't have comfort for a long time and i think it kind of kept eating at me through october through november especially coming from one of if not the best bike in the 250 class uh and so i was getting very frustrated with not being able to ride to my ability yeah and uh so that ate away at me which turned my motivation away which made me you know maybe make bad decisions or whatever it was and and even the work i was putting in it was almost the bare minimum if you would like i would do everything i'm told but just kind of going through the motions and uh but yeah i come january i quickly found out you know that that, that program wasn't going to work yeah so looking back what what would uh what would eight-year-old teddy bear on the chest protector <laughs> wearing cooper webb think of cooper webb today Ah, uh, I think he would be very stoked. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when I won my first championship in 2015. I, on the podium, just remembered I never thought I'd be a champion ever. You know, I even, like you said, as an 8-year-old, as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, I, I had no idea what I could do or, or really what I was capable of. And like you said, because I had never had maybe the success that I wanted in the amateurs I just never viewed myself as being able to be a successful motocross racer yeah so once I won that first championship for me that was just like the biggest goal that I could have ever accomplished that there was no more that I could do besides that like I thought that was it and so I was you know next year obviously everything got way better but I'd say now it's like it's hard to even sit there as an eight-year-old and, and look at what I've been able to accomplish because I never thought I would get any championship or anything. So, I mean, to be able to have great success in the 250 class and then have a 450 championship is huge. But I think, and maybe other people disagree, but I feel like the way I did it really made it even more special. Yeah, you I know? agree with that. And, uh, so just being able to accomplish a championship in the 450 premier class and supercross like like you said i have to throw i have to sit back and pinch myself all the time and and remind myself like hey that that actually happened dude. yeah you said it something a minute ago that kind of struck me because it's something that i went through uh recently even within the last two or three months is like it was almost like you had surpassed all your goals and and dreams if you will mm -hmm. like you had to reset all that because you had you know done more than you had ever 
you ever thought you could or would. Yeah. And 100%. I mean, that's what, in my mind, I'm always goal-oriented and always setting a goal for racing or whatever it is. And like you said, when I first um, turned pro, it was never a goal. And then I accomplished it. And even this, I think that's what kind of happened to me even in the 450 class. Like, I kind of knew, like, okay, I'm I'm not going to be able to win a championship. So, like, when you get used to winning, you kind of, that's like your goal. Right. And then it's like once you achieve it, whether it's a race win or a career podium or whatever that goal was for me, you, you're all, you're constantly climbing. And even this past year, like, I never expected to to win this championship. And, you know, it was one of those things where my goal was sometime in my next however long I'm racing, I would love to achieve a championship. Right. So when it did happen this year, it's like crazy. But I feel like I've learned now to, hey, you kind of adapt and, and go and just keep making them bigger or, you know, whatever it is. You got to keep climbing and don't just settle and – and be content even though that was a lifelong goal like hey while we're here we gotta just more stuff to yeah do. keep keep going at it and just doing the best you can what was the transition like from from the old team to the team you have now of of carlos who's you know multi-time champion with dungeon worked for some really great guys and and raj and just the whole group is pretty dang accomplished you know yeah it's it is insane. You know? It's got to be pretty intimidating. Like Raj, you know, he's on both sides, Husky and KTM, and mm-hmm. he still he intimidates me a little bit. Like sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Just now, is. I'm to the point where I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna, yeah. you know, I'm gonna go talk to Raj. Well, I think um, I had, I've been lucky when I did donations the two years to kind of work with him and Ian, and we kind of hit it off then. I felt like we had a lot of the same similarities and mindsets. So. But yeah, transitioning from the Yamaha team, which they were a great group, you know, a lot of accomplished people and experience on there. But um, just to transition to that, even the first talks I had with them and like going to their shop and and seeing just the differences, you know, of having the Austrian brand versus the Japanese and how, you know, when you look at it, like Roger is so high up on the KTM right. brand. Right, on the totem pole. And, you know, I remember with Yamaha it was like there's so much more to just supercross racing for that brand and yeah. stuff so that was a, a huge thing for me being able to work with those guys and just um like you said being allotted with Carlos you know because it was from what I understand he had kind of took the year off before to kind of see what he wanted to do and so for him to want to work with me I thought was was super cool and to be able to go with him like he's one with Dungey and you kind of just have that like confidence of knowing like okay this guy's won championships as a mechanic and as a technician so whether I do that or not I know I have the best guy or one of the best guys and somebody who can get me there yes and teach me and the sky's the limit and same with Ian and, and Roger like I've always been the type of guy where I can I, I feel like I listen well, and if you tell me something, I'll do it. So I just knew with all that experience and where they've been with not only racing but with how good their motorcycle was, their program, everything, I just knew, like, if I just listen to these guys, I'll, I'll do well. Right. So it was that was a huge thing for me, being able to just have the opportunity to go to KTM to, to not only be on, my opinion, like the best bike out there, but that group is – is pretty i mean i don't know if you can ask for much better yeah 
one of the one of the people that I feel like is super, um, let's say, beneficial or is a very intricate part of your program and life is Dr. G. What's uh, what is it about G that that makes him your guy? We give G like. <laughs> All of well, not all of his clients, but but the ones who know each other and know you and him, we all give him crap about you being his guy. But you guys have a really a good unique relationship, and I feel like he's been a huge part of your your success. Yeah, he has. I mean, um, I don't know why we just have always hit it off. Like, um, I think for me, it all started like twenty. He was working with his guys how he does now in twenty fourteen. He. He, I went to his office one day to kind of get worked on or whatever, and he had told me like, "Hey, if you ever get hurt or whatever, you know, come in here." And one of the races, I dislocated my wrist, and I remember walking over to RCH and knocking on the door, and I was like, "Hey, is G in here?" And they're like, "Who is this kid?" You know, like, "G, some kids at the door," and he popped my wrist in for me, and I was able to race that night, and I, I don't know what I got, but ever since then, like, I was like, "Dang," you know. If I get hurt, like, this guy can fix me. <laughs> Whatever. He's, he's got my back. So uh, I think that's where it's been, you know, with injuries. He's been able to help me a lot and um, just connect with him. I think he was a, a bigger role than maybe what a doctor should be for this whole KTM deal. You know, yeah. I think he was somebody that I could kind of rant with and talk about um, that, that understood more than the side you're on. You know, I think for me I was in a tough spot because – all the people that were in my corner were kind of associated with Yamaha yeah, and with me staying. And he was like the third party or, or one guy that I could kind of talk to. And, and he had been able to work with Dungey and around that team and with guys on that team. And he could just kind of give me insight and help me progress through the week or work on this or that you know and uh so yeah i think that has always helped and been a a good connection with somebody i can go to with with anything and but yeah i mean he was uh he helped me i think even putting in good words to the guys that kicked me (laughs) all around he's uh he's a little bit more than a doctor yeah no he's a good guy all right so this year obviously you know you transitioned to to the deal with alden to here in florida um with the whole group and it, it went well, like, <laughs> of course. Um, how big of a transition was that? It was big. I mean, um, when you look back even now, it doesn't seem like, oh, man, it wasn't really that much of a change. But at the time, it was. I mean, um, you know, I've been with Yamaha for a long time, and um, I have was... I struggled, obviously, but I was still felt like there was more to accomplish with him, and I I was constantly torn on what I was going to do. You know, obviously, I was. I think my last injury in 2018, when I broke my leg, um, I got to such a low in my career that I just told myself, you know what, I never want to feel this again, and I want to do whatever it takes to crawl out of this hole and do what I'm capable of that I'm not sure of but I know I can be better than what I'm doing and getting hurt all the time and whatever this and that and um so yeah I think it was pretty cool like I've told the story before but I had just gotten out of my surgery with my broken leg and you know you're at a low so it's like you're bummed and you have certain people that check in but 
really not as many people as as you hope for. Yeah. And then I got a call actually from not as many people as on the nights you win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I Roger called me straight up called me and said, "Hey, we're thinking about you. We hope you get better. You know, we want you to get healed up, and we want you." And I'm like, what "The heck, like." <laughs> That's a pretty big statement for a guy yeah. fresh out of surgery. I mean, especially, I mean, shoot, I I think I'd gotten one podium and whatever. Like, my results weren't weren't where they should have been. But uh, I was really shocked by that. And I kind of knew in my mind right there, like, you know what? That's enough to get me out of this. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If that's going to KTM with Alden, with everything, you know, whatever. And... So when it when it all boiled down and we got the deal done and it happened, it was a big change. I mean, when I look back, like I was, you know, living in California and in North Carolina, I had a house there, was, you know, really enjoyed it there, um, had a home there. So I, you know, got rid of it, sold it, moved to Florida, you know, and, and even with Alden's deal, like I was intimidated by it and really not sure if I could handle it and, you know, coming in with three guys that were here like you know i'm i'm almost gonna be maybe like the the redheaded stepchild (laughs) like i know i've had a past and all this stuff and so i was you know pretty nervous to be honest and then even with alden like i was kind of like man you know he probably is like man i gotta deal with this freaking kid like he's a yeah i don't know where he was at with me but I, i i assume like he probably wasn't like eager to work with me so it was it was pretty uh, intimidating, and then like you said, it, actually being under Roger and Ian and those guys, and kind of seeing where they're at with like, hey, what's what's the expectation? You know, are you wanting? And but they were really cool with like, hey, this is a rebuilding year type deal. So a lot changed. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously I went from a team I'd been on the last two years, um, got off of it. I had switched switch trainers from Swanee, who I'd been with for four or five years um moved out of both of my houses that i was going back and forth on um moved here to florida where i didn't know anybody (laughs) i remember texting you the first time like about a road bike loop and i didn't know anybody so it was just me and my girlfriend and dog and we were like dang let's let's see what will happen (laughs) all in i remember i got here september and no one was here you know i just met alden just me and him and i was scared and nervous and yeah and then when the the heat was one thing and the first cycle we went on i was like well now i'm never gonna make it (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna get back to the house at this rate (laughs) i remember laying on the floor just like panning freaking pissed off hot and just like yep I don't think I'm going to make this training. (laughs) Fly Racing believes that our highest obligation is to provide the best products to riders worldwide. With the Formula Helmet, Fly Racing set out with one simple goal. Deliver the most technologically advanced, highest performing motocross and off-road helmet the world has ever seen. Five years of development later, that dream has been realized. Check out formula.flyracing.com to learn more. Um, I have a, there's a couple listener questions about that same topic. Um, can you ask? This is from Always Moto. Can you ask Cooper about the shift from Swanee to Baker? Was it the trainer or the group, Marvin, Jason, and Zach, that has helped him elevate his game this year, especially in Supercross? Um, I know it, it's cliche, but it was a little bit of everything. I mean, 
like the bike for me was a huge step in the right direction. Um, so that was, I'd say, maybe the bigger thing of everything to like not saying it would have made me win this championship but i feel like it would have made me from a top 10 to a top eight if you will or a consistent top five right just with the bike and then um you know the people around the team that had the knowledge and you know they helped me with a lot of stuff like just kind of really actually one of the big things they helped me with was starts uh which have turned my starting around quite a bit you know technique testing um being able to judge and read the bike and what to do and taught me a lot there and then i'd say obviously yeah riding with you guys and marv and jason and being on a i'd say more of a 450 structured program right you know i think like me and swanee had great success and you know i always felt like i was in really good shape but i think um the 450 class is just gnarly and it's um you know it's it's the elite to be a champion like you gotta it's almost like a new world and i think you know our our program and everything was was great and we were able to win but it's a new step and a new challenge at the 450 level and um so i think just going with alden that he had the success of championships and you just kind of have that belief instantly and then i mean the program was a lot harder for me you know to initially get used to and jump in and um with the training as well as really the riding and um i had always been in that the 250 program where i was kind of the top guy in, in my group and you know you, you get comfortable to being very low on the totem pole when yeah. i came here so uh yeah it was it was a big transition but I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one exact thing. Right, because there's think a it was lot of changes. A lot of changes, and that they all built up for the ultimate championship, you know? Yeah. Um, the next one's from Dark Side. Is there anything uh, you were surprised by after winning the 450 Supercross champ, media, Championship, media obligations, fan responses, whether negative or positive, anything like that? Um. I mean, you get a lot more media obligations for sure, but I mean, that's, I know a lot of people kind of run from it or don't like it, but that's kind of, in my opinion, comes with the territory. Yeah. Um, you know, if you win the highest level, you got to represent do like this. and do this on the highest <laughs> level. So, um, I think for me it was, was fans, good and bad. Like I, I felt like I gained so many more fans this year as a whole and kind of was able to show people more of me and yeah. but at the same time i think just with sports or success or anything you instantly have just as many haters too yeah. so uh it was a i mean i i i thrive off it so i kind of liked it like you get uh you know there whether it's a tomac fan or a roxon fan or osborne fan whatever it is they want to see their guy win so when when you kind of interrupt that um, they don't like it, but I always kind of enjoyed it a little bit. But, yeah, I'd say definitely a lot of criticism, but um, also a lot more outreach and fans, like, actually engaging, engaging and kind of understanding your story and really me kind of opening myself as a new face to hopefully the younger generation or young fans or families, whatever it is. Yeah. You touched on this, but 
Um, Sean Moore asks, Coop, huge fan, love your style and aggression, and especially how you can, how raw you can be in interviews and press conferences. However, there seems to be a lot of people who do not like you. You've never really done anything bad, just passionate, aggressive writing. Why do you think that you have so many haters? <laughs> uh, I think we live in a I, sensitive world. We do. <laughs> I, I agree with them. Like, I don't recall anything really that you've ever done that was like gnarly like <laughs> holy cow you've just been know. frank you know yeah like, for sure front. i mean i think i get um like i said and, and i i'm fine with it like i know everybody's different but it's for me i use it as a motivator really yeah. but uh you know i think like you said i think my personality and my attitude is pretty straightforward and i feel like i'm pretty honest and you know um i don't try to hide anything and you know i do carry i feel like a chip on my shoulder so um you know i think it is what it is like i wouldn't change it you know i feel like i have some great fans and i have people that really don't like me but that's yeah but on the flip side of that token there's all the other people who used to hate on dunge and yeah. for being you know quote unquote robotic or yeah. too downplayed or whatever so like you're never gonna make any no and that's the problem i mean you have 100 people 50 of them are gonna like you 50 of them are gonna hate you so no matter what you do i could be the nicest i mean that's what i never understood how dunge always had haters you know he's the nicest guy did everything right but still doing something right Right. so you know I, i i enjoy it like i can honestly say i've never held anything back or i've always done what i felt was right or should have done i mean sure maybe uh 250 days was you know a little immaturity but i feel like now i'm getting better and uh but i don't know i think it's just the way i was raised like i mean just southern style just straightforward yeah i, I, like mean, I don't know i dig it i mean i i often wish like i had a little bit more of that in me like I, <laughs> i'm from the south too but i just you know i'm not yeah. not that guy i guess i don't know yeah i mean like you said i think it's just a it's a different world i mean even when uh you know, just the people all around the country, you, you go to different areas and people have just different ways of life and viewing things. And like I said, I just, I think we're just taught like, hey, it's, this is the way it is. And yeah. Back when I was 23, we yeah. barely even had Instagram. You know? <laughs> but you just get taught, you know, hey, this, if somebody talks crap to you, there's two ways to settle it. And yeah. I always got taught you got to fight for what you, what you know, you know. I like it. I like it. I dig it. I, I mean, I do. I really... You know, oftentimes I I wish I had more of that, um, yeah, just brashness in me. I I, I respect it a lot. Well, I appreciate it. All right, I Coop. make a fan out of you, then that's that's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> um, so seriously, thanks so much for doing this. It's been awesome and um, very insightful. I feel like I feel like we've become really good friends over the over the past year and yeah. or you know nine months, whatever. And and um, looking to much more you know looking forward to much more um but i always like to end this with 10 fun questions um for the fans um guilty pleasure food chick-fil-a okay okay (laughs) um travel anywhere where would you go man i i've traveled to some cool places i'd say uh i want to go to hawaii i've never been I'd love to go. Actually, we were trying to, kind of thinking about planning a vacation there, but so we should go together. Uh, biggest pet peeve? Um, ungratefulness. Okay. Any other talent or skill you could have, what would it be? Um, I'd love to be a pro golfer. 
I'm not a surfer? I thought you wanted to be a surfer. Oh, I wanted to be a surfer, but I've always thought about it. The pro golfers, like, they get to travel to the most beautiful places, make a bunch of money, you know, go golf on the best courses around the world, like, you know, don't really have to be in shape. You can kind of just do whatever you want and <laughs> make it happen. Oh, man. Um, Mental- thinking of the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, and I feel like the good ones are pretty mentally strong, you know? Yeah, they are. And they're pretty mentally – or pretty minted, loaded yeah. for sure. Um, thing you're the worst at? No, I already mm-hmm. asked you that, didn't I? No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. Thing you're the worst at? Uh, I forget things a lot. Forget things? <laughs> thing you're the best at other than your job? Um, I'd like to say I'm a pretty good cook, unless everybody's been lying to me my whole life. <laughs> it's possible. I th- I thought I was a pretty good cook, but um, every time I offered to cook my like stir fry when I lived in England, stir fry was like my specialty. Mm-hmm. Stir fry fajitas that was like six nights a week, and the other night we would go to TGI Fridays. But <laughs> now when I offer to cook stir fry, Brittany's like, "Yeah, you know, I mean, we can go to Chipotle or whatever you want." I'm like, "All right, sweet, I get the hint," you know. Um. Boxers or briefs? Uh, I guess briefs. I'm an ethical guy. Okay. Um, travel back in time or forward in time to any event, what would it be? Dang. Um, I, I could probably go with something inspirational, but honestly, I think, uh, like, I'm always been a fan of all music so like any just historic music event like Woodstock or dude Woodstock is like I ask this question to a lot of people that you know that I've come come across and Woodstock is one of the top on my list too like yeah it would be insane just to see the scene I, I was on the plane the other day and um they had a Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. performance from Woodstock yeah. and I was just like holy cow that's yeah. insane just the rawness of it all would be pretty cool yeah have you ever seen the movie taking Woodstock mm-hmm. it's pretty wild but it's worth a watch yeah. especially if you're into that sort of thing I'll check it out um music genre I know you like rap. Yeah, I honestly I like it all. I'd say if I had to choose one, like to listen to the rest of my life, country. Okay. Well, lucky you. You're gonna go home with some Scotch stuff today, so you can Heck listen yeah. to your, to some more country out by your pool. <laughs> um, and a quote to live by. Um. Shoot. Everything happens for a reason. Okay. Sweet. I like that. Seriously, Coop, thank you so much for your time on this uh, beautiful Monday. I know you didn't have a whole lot going on, but you could have done something else. And yeah. um, thanks a lot, and we'll see you, uh, I guess, at Monster Cup at this point. Yeah, straight rhythm Monster Cup. We'll be there. Thanks, bud. Yeah, thanks.